Want to be a part of the conversation? Then let us know on the TNT Radio interactive live chat room at tntradio.live. Lighting the fuse for freedom. Today's news talk, TNT Radio. Speaking on the issues that impact, this is the Patrick Henningsen Show on TNT Radio. All right, ladies and gentlemen, all right, welcome. Welcome to the program, TFI Fridays. Great to have you with us. Hello to everybody in the TNT chat community. I hope you guys are doing well. It's been an epic week so far. It's been a mega week. We've had some incredible shows, incredible guest segments, great discussions here on TNT, hitting the hardest as any media outlet and also the biggest stories in the world. So we're going to continue that today. Of course, we're going to joined, uh, we're going to be joined in the second hour by a legal correspondent from New York City, Matthew Russell Lee from Inner City Press. We'll be uh, getting into the scrum there in the second hour. And also in the first hour, I want to welcome first time to TNT, uh, best-selling author Dr. Martin Cohen is joining us. Uh, he's actually written a great article, which uh, we had the privilege of publishing at 21stCenturyWire.com. And it's on the seven ways that Israel controls media coverage on Gaza. Dr. Martin Cohen uh, is going to be joining us in just a few minutes, and I'm really looking forward to that discussion. He's just written a really brilliant article, uh, and I think we're going to go through it. And it really kind of explains a lot, gives really a full shape of how the propaganda talking points are formed, how the narrative is controlled, how arguments are being constructed. And the end result is, the public has been really well gaslit on this issue uh, in the last five weeks. But if you really want to extend this back, this gaslighting and has been going on really for decades, uh, truth be known. So we're going to be joined by him and looking forward to that discussion. It's going to be very informative, very informative discussion indeed. Now, let's go to uh, Ukraine for a moment. Uh, this is an interesting story that's popped up on Bloomberg. You have to remember Bloomberg News is one of the establishment's per- premier propaganda uh, outlets, oracles. Michael Bloomberg is a, a deep state operative who's managed to buy up uh, large swaths of the media. Mainly, he started doing financial news, and he branched out just doing general mainstream propaganda on behalf of government, uh, on behalf of the military, and of course, on behalf of Israel as well. So Bloomberg News is one of the most biased and twisted of mainstream outlets. Um, however, However, you do have to pay attention to deep state propaganda because sometimes the deep deep state sends signals out and gives you kind of a clue that maybe the establishment is changing course. So you'll see when the cause celeb, which they've been pushing for the last two years, in this case, it's uh, Vladimir Zelensky being like the icon of all democracy in the universe uh, and how wonderful Ukraine is and how they're going to defeat Russia. And we just need to give them a few more hundred billion dollar tranches to make it all happen so get behind the war effort everybody that's basically what bloomberg and others have been pushing for the last two years but now they're starting to throw Zelensky under the bus so it's pretty clear that his days are numbered uh it's just a question of when not if and so they've run this story which i think is i mean if i was Zelensky, i'd be i'd be worried that the U.S. mainstream, the deep state establishment are putting out stories like this, okay? So Zelensky fears a new Maidan in Ukraine. So the Ukrainian president has reportedly claimed there will be a Moscow-inspired mass protest in Kiev. So what they're doing here, this is sort of double-ended propaganda. 
So what Bloomberg is cleverly doing is throwing Zelensky under the bus, but then foreshadowing it to make it sound like it's a a, a Russian operation. So like a, a Russian color revolution, if you will, in Ukraine to overthrow Zelensky, who is the uh, rightful ruler of Ukraine, we're told, who's basically Zelensky was a slapstick comedian who was doing like really sort of bad sitcoms a couple of years ago, did a sitcom about becoming president. A normal guy becoming president was called Servant of the People. And after that show ran in the Ukrainian and Russian TV markets, um, he then starts a party called Servant of the People, runs for president. It seemed like a protest campaign or as a joke and won by a landslide. And next thing you know, he's dragging his country into World War III. So it's it's kind of an incredible story uh, in itself. So that's what Bloomberg's doing here. They're saying this. So there is public discontent around Zelensky. They don't allow honest polling. They don't allow elections. Okay, they've suspended the free press. So any criticism of Zelensky over the last two years has been illegal in Ukraine. You see, any criticism of the government, full stop. It's illegal. It's not allowed. So that supposedly this is the dem democracy that the EU is is welcoming in with open arms. You know this model democracy. So so supposedly fighting the uh, evil autocrat Putin. So anyway, uh, the, the, there is a military coup probably underway. I would think that the United States or the British would be organizing that. Um, so they support Zelensky, but they will also support the coup. Okay. It's not a Russian-inspired coup. Definitely be the Western governments will go to Zaluzhny, who's the head of the uh, Ukrainian armed forces. If he's not willing to play ball, they'll find the next in, in command. They'll get rid of Zaluzhny and back whoever. Zaluzhny or the next in command. Whoever will basically play ball in this kind of uh, staged WWF uh, drama, World Wrestling Federation-style drama, uh, to you know, have a coup or some change of hands, if you will, in Kiev. So that's that looks like that's what's happening. Just reading through the Bloomberg propaganda lines, and by the way, th there's similar versions of this story that have appeared in the New York Times and the Washington Post. These are also establishment stroke deep state uh, media outlets. Okay, so they're saying the Ukrainian president Vladimir Zelensky told journalists on Thursday that he received tips. Uh, anonymous tips or intelligence tips about a Russian, quote, influence campaign aimed at destabilizing his government. Well, the Russians don't need to do that. He's destabilizing the government perfectly fine himself by attaching his, his ankle to the ball and chain that is NATO, okay? That is the Biden administration. They have absolutely run roughshod over Ukraine, trying to use them as a battering ram to quote, weaken Russia. That's the stated U.S. policy. It's not a surprise. So anyway, Bloomberg's put this out. And so basically expect some kind of news or there'll be some sort of event, breaking event on this. I don't know when. Could be after the new year. But this whole project is on borrowed time at the moment because the United States focus, the European focus, everything is on the Middle East right now. It's moved to Israel. And that's a whole mess that is going to have to be unraveled as well. So, you know, this business of proxy wars, whether it's uh, using the Taiwanese against the Chinese, uh, using the Ukrainians against the Russians, or using Israel against the entire Islamic Muslim world or against Iran or whoever, or really against the native Palestinian population, to be true, um, 
this whole endeavor, which has been the stock and trade of the United States and its allies over the last few decades, is basically bankrupt. Okay, the whole thing is bankrupt. It's no longer netting any positive results, certainly not for the people in any of these regions. Okay, certainly not for any of the people. But it seems to be netting results, I guess, in London, in Washington, the military industrial complex, and other sort of stakeholders in this. So anyway, this is just one thing I want to bring to your uh, attention there. And uh, and then we'll segue into the next segment. I'm looking forward to this great conversation with uh, Dr. Martin Cohen on propaganda. But Israel is undecided about what to do next in Gaza, straight off the news wires. Leadership in Israel are debating whether to invade southern Gaza. Now, here we go. Isn't this what we predicted five weeks ago? I think we did. Yeah, a land grab. Push them into the Sinai Desert. Uh, or will Israel want to reach a, quote, interim deal to pause everything, exchange hostages, and maybe still secure northern Gaza as a security zone? In other words, occupy it, annex it, basically. Uh, that looks like what's going to happen. So they're now saying uh, southern Gaza is also a Hamas threat. We need to attack that as well. So, I mean, is anybody surprised? Is anybody shocked? Could you not see this coming? This is why we were opposing this from the get-go, because we knew that this would not stop with northern Gaza. I think any honest person looking at this can realize that. The Israeli military and the government are locked in a heated debate at the highest levels. Now, this is from the Jerusalem Post. So it looks like the Jerusalem Post tends to be very pro, somewhat Likud, uh, Netanyahu, um, occasionally moderate, but very strategic in the talking points they put out. So the reason they're putting this out now is there's going to be some sort of a shift or a policy announcement. That could be an expansion of operations into southern Gaza um, or some other sort of you know interim deal, that they're calling it, which is only that, an interim deal. It's not a permanent settlement. It's not going to stop the fighting or come to any real resolution. It's literally to get from A to B. And then to see, this is for Tel Aviv, for the West. They're they're working out how to proceed. So yes, undecided on what to do next, but they are going forward, either now or later. Okay, that's the whole point of this. Palestine is shrinking. As you look at the map from the last 70 years, it is still shrinking. That's the point that we should uh, highlight on this story. That would be my takeaway of this particular story here, this headline from the Jerusalem Post. We'll talk about other issues relating to this, but just more generally the propaganda operation that we're all witnessing. It's breathtaking, ladies and gentlemen. Let's find out what's behind it with our next guest, Martin Cohen. I'm Patrick Henningsen. You're listening to TNT. Today's news talk. We'll be right back. Mark Morano on TNT Radio. Anti-Semitism existed long before DEI, but here it is. At the heart of DEI is a simple binary. The world is divided between oppressors and the oppressed. Proponents of DEI cast white people as oppressors, black people as the oppressed. Will they apply this frame primarily to America? They often apply it to Israel too. Apparently, Israel is a bastion of Jew whiteness with a racist commitment to shattering the lives of non-white Palestinians. What's interesting about Jews as 
white oppressors. This is exactly what got Whoopi Goldberg in trouble on The View, where she actually, and, and still even doubled down the next day, didn't think it was a big deal, but was finally forced by ABC to take a few days leave, issue an apology. But she essentially said that the Holocaust in Nazi Germany was no big deal because it was just white on white oppression. You know, not, not the kind of thing that we'd be concerned with today in our multicultural landscape. The Mark Morano Show on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. The is Britain's far-right conspiracy theory paper spreading hate and vicious lies. No, that's what the BBC say. The Light is the only national newspaper bringing you the real news and informed opinion on what's really going on today. You can subscribe, order copies, submit articles, and read back issues on our website, thelightpaper.co.uk, and see for yourself why the establishment are so worried about the uncensored truth getting out to people every month. The Light Paper. Not for right, just right so far. Thelightpaper.co.uk We don't rock. Rock. We talk. Today's News Talk, TNT Radio. All right, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back. We're now number one of this live broadcast. I'm your host, Patrick Henningsen. Thank you guys for joining us. Hello to everybody in the TNT chat community. Uh, great to see you guys piling in there. We have over 100 people uh, moving into the chat room as we speak. Great to see you guys. Appreciate all your hard work as well and all the opposition research links, all the truth bombs the mems it all makes it worth it for our tnt chat community that's where you want to be hanging out during the show on the url tntradio.live or on the app just click through and it'll bring you to the website you'll see the red bubble with the chat room there you can log in you'll stay logged in every day and you can join the community there during the program we highly encourage it now i want to shift gears here we're going to get into some heavy analysis here on on propaganda and i want to point to an article i'll drop this also in the tnt community as well so you guys can see this in a minute but this is the seven ways israel controls the news agenda by dr martin cohen we published this up at 21st century wire this is an excellent analytical article ladies and gentlemen it really just breaks down and gives context and shows you just how the narratives are framed and how they're controlled and it gives you a reality check as well to clarify what the true situation is and the author of this article this excellent article who is a well-published author of many books some of them best-selling uh, he's on the line with us right now dr martin cohen martin thank you for joining us Hi, Patrick. Hi, everyone. It's great to have you with us. Martin, um, uh, congratulations. This is an excellent piece. And uh, I've gotten great feedback since we started sharing this uh, last week. And a lot of people have uh, said, this is great. This has allowed me to go back to my forums, wherever I'm arguing or debating or posting on social media to kind of get clarity on these issues. So it's been a fantastic asset for people, Martin. Just uh, tell us just generally, you know, your general view on what's transpired over the last, you know, five weeks or so uh, regarding uh, the situation in Gaza and, you know, how you feel about that, what you think your general impressions of the media coverage are. And we'll get into, um, you know, what you've written here as well, but go ahead. Yeah, my impression is that a lot of people are confused. This, this is the problem. And that has allowed Israel to, to dominate the narrative um, with what is really a very, it's not really complicated, the issues. And it, it is a disgraceful situation. And it is um, <clears throat> what we're witnessing it's, it's very upsetting to a lot of people, uh, including myself. 
Um, and you, you wonder how people who are basically, well, you know, decent people cannot see what a terrible thing is going on and why indeed some of them are arguing for it. Um, and that is what is, is just completely distressing. I'll give you an example about the whole context of the situation, which is Zionism, which I don't really like the term Zionism. I think labels are very, very unfortunate and misleading. But let, let, let's start with Zionism. The slogan, it's a 19th century movement, so it goes back to the 1800s. It's old. Um, it's a colonial movement, and its slogan was um, a land without people for a people without land. And that just sums it all up because it makes a nice catchy phrase, but there's a problem, which is Palestine is not a land without people. And this is where we are. We see continuous, continuously uh, Israeli spokespeople describing the Palestinians as not a people. And indeed, the whole strategy is to physically force them out, as, as the process started in the 1940s. Um, and I put a quote in the article that you mentioned, Patrick, you know, a quote about um, how the way of persuading these people who were counted as not a people to move was to use terror. And that was explicitly stated by the, the Israeli government. And we see it today. And this is what uh, I think is so distressing. We see the most crude forms of terror used to force the Palestinians to move. And then the ones who haven't moved have died. Um, is it 11,000 now? You, you know, it, it's, it's never, <laughs> we've never witnessed such a, such a cynical strategy before um, <clears throat> and includes a lot of UN workers who I salute their courage trying to keep delivering essential goods and journalists. But what we've got, as, as you'll be well aware as, as, as a journalist yourself, you know, we've got people on the mainstream media from their offices in the big cities writing very influential pieces which are all totally misleading and dishonest and the people trying to, to bear honest witness um, are actually being targeted by Israeli troops and shot. And I think it's something like 60, 60 journalists have been shot so far. Yeah, in terms of journalists being uh, killed in this short of the t of a time frame, Martin, the, the, this is there's nothing comparable uh, in any modern uh, war that since we've had modern media, basically. So this is like unprecedented and targeted yeah. as well in some cases. I think that's been proven, um, and and the family of an Al Jazeera journalist as well. I mean, this is just incredible. So it seems, Martin, that the intention is to stop the eyewitness accounts, to stop the truth being reported to the world community. Um, that's just another level of perniciousness by a belligerent in a conflict. I, so def I, definitely a war. I would actually crime, say maybe more cynical than that, Patrick, that the intention isn't to stop the news getting out, but to make sure that the news is that no one is safe. Uh, it is a kind of terror strategy and it was explicitly stated in the in the you know the last century but it's been repeated in in recent years again by people like the, the foreign minister for israel that the intention is to get the palestinians to to leave palestine because they're terrified that if they stay they will die and we saw how they did ethnically cleanse um the top half of palestine um they more or less emptied it of people telling them that they had to go to the south of Palestine. Now, now of course, they're saying 
they're going to do the South. Now, what I was looking at today is you'd think this is totally illegal. And of course, it, it is illegal, I think. But there's a, the, the law is actually not, not genocide. We should talk, people talk a lot about genocide. The, the law that we really ought to look at is, is just war crimes. Um, the war crimes provisions prevent military operations displacing civilian populations. But there's an exception. In a particular zone of activity, you can temporarily get people to move. And what that means is something like, say, say you were targeting a street, <laughs> then, then you might move all the people out of the street. The Israelis have interpreted it to mean you can use the top half of a country, like well, not exactly a country, but the top half of Gaza Strip, a million people, you can count them as you say, no, you, we're having a military operation here, you'll all have to move. And that is not really legal, but it needs to be tested. Now, why is no one, none of the international community are testing it? None of them will take up these cases. And that, that's, that's what's so shocking in a way. So, so before Martin, it would be, you know, uh, Israeli intelligence or, you know, let's take the IRA, for instance, coded warning, a message, we're going to hit this building, you better evacuate, bomb goes off, or in the case of Israel, Martin, it'll be, you know, an airstrike hits the building, okay, we've seen this before, I personally don't agree with it any at all in Gaza, period, but let's just say that was uh, has been done in the past. Now hmm. it's not just building, but they're saying we're taking out entire part of a highly densely populated city yeah. to, to create a security zone out of it. I mean, and, and they're justifying this on, on what basis? Yeah. So they're saying it, there's basically they split the Gaza Strip, which is two million people, I think, and they said split it into two and said, get out of the top half or you'll die. And, and to underline the message, they killed very publicly people like the journalists went for the hospitals, you know, that's why, why they're, they're in the hospital now. They know there's no, there's no military significance to that hospital, but it's a symbol. And it says, nowhere is safe. You must leave. So the, the people of Gaza have, by and large, left the, the, the north, and now they're being forced to leave the south. And <clears throat> what, what is remarkable is um, that this goes on really very publicly. Um, and... and even now, there is quite a lot of sympathy. But I, I did notice we talk about like Biden and in America, um, Biden is a very strong supporter. I mentioned it in in the piece he described. Um, he keeps saying things like, um, "I love Bibi," which is you know, there's no way to talk about. <laughs> this is his folksy style, which is actually very dangerous. He says, "I love Bibi." He does mad things, but I just have to support him. Um, about a thousand people who work for the State Department have protested this strategy and said it's against America's long-standing policies to be a fair, you know, a neutral figure trying to get a Palestinian state, and and, and that it's it's in a way it's actually contrary to American not only principles but law to have this strategy of um, supporting. Uh, uh, what I think is really ethnic cleansing in plain sight. Yeah, and and also this the, the justification, Martin. You probably saw the parliamentary vote uh, just uh, the other day about a ceasefire. So you know, is the UK government, for example, 
one of many governments mm-hmm. that have been supporting Israel, EU, UK, US, um, should there be a ceasefire, it becomes a very controversial thing. And the people who are opposing a ceasefire are saying that it's wrong because it will allow Hamas a chance to reorganize or, you know, rearm or whatever. That's the the literally the justification mm-hmm. across the board. What do you think about that, th- th- this whole well, dilemma? Again, I think the, the question's been framed by the Israelis, and it is all wrong. There, there isn't actually a conflict between two countries here. They, they, call, they say themselves, they call Hamas a terrorist group. Um, now, if, if it's a terrorist group and they're a country with a nuclear weapons and a huge air force, there's a, there's a mismatch here. And you, you don't need a ceasefire. You just need to, to conduct your it's kind of policing operation. You need to conduct it in a proportionate way. Um, and the, the whole idea that you, you actually are blowing up cities to find a, a, a handful of terrorists is, is an absurdity. Um, the obvious comparison that struck me was a comparison in the UK with the IRA, who, who did blow up um, troops and things in London, and they famously blew up this hotel in Brighton, which is where I come from, seaside town, uh, where all the, the the prime minister, which was Mrs. Thatcher, and and her cabinet were staying in the hotel. They very nearly killed the British cabinet. Now these these are the IRA is a serious threat in a way to the British, but no one said that that means you then go carpet bombing Ireland. No one said we're going to start destroying Dublin, everyone out of Dublin. Um, the IRA did have links to Dublin. They probably had people people living there. Um, they had financial links to Ireland. Um, all the sort of feeble links that are claimed for the people in Gaza would have existed in Ireland. It, absolutely unimaginable response would have been a military response by Britain to the acts of a small group of people, the IRA. Um, and, and of course, it never happened. It wasn't even imagined it would happen. So somehow it's been become normalized that if Hamas does something, and I, I, I think um, it could be like they, they might attack a, a, a very small project. The last thing they did was relatively grand scale. You know, they, 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 they killed over 1,200 people. Quite a lot of them were not civilians, but let, let's, let's not go into that. Nonetheless, the scale, the scale is not there. It was still the kind of act of um, non-state operators. Um, the IRA killed, I think, at one point, uh, two two hundred British soldiers. You, you know, so <laughs> when you've got a, an operation which uh, killed twelve hundred Israelis, and you respond by forcibly driving out one or two million million Palestinians. There's no, there's no comparison. So what's going on? It, it, it's a cynical use of that as an excuse. And, and I'll, I'll take that uh, comparison even further, which you made an excellent scenario, hypothetical scenario there with the IRA and the British government, but like take South African apart, apartheid regime for, for a moment. If the apartheid regime Regime in South Africa, when the ANC were designated as a internationally by Western powers, some of them as a terrorist group, and Nelson Mandela as a terrorist, if a bomb went off um, in South Africa, then what? South Africa scrambles its air force 
with U.S. planes and bombs and then levels the township of Soweto and kills tens of thousands of people. That would be not acceptable by anybody in the international community. And certainly that's probably why they didn't do it back yeah. then. So yeah. my question, Martin, is why is this acceptable today? Are, are, yeah. has, has society or civilization, are we reaching some, are we in some sort of a strange phase right now where certain things or certain restraints have been removed uh, in in morality in the international system. I'm trying to figure this out, Martin, but I'll I'll, I'll throw that over to you. Um, I, I agree, and and uh, take some of the spokespeople in the UK <clears throat> for Israel. Um, so I sort of met people like that long ago when I was at university. They were often in the political groups, always in the conservative political groups. No, but not, no, that's not quite right. They're also in the Labour groups. You know, there's the Labour Friends of Israel. Um, but the, the point about those people, it, they are actually anti-Semitic. They're actually very prejudiced people. They're, they're just bigots. They're in the far, they're, they're always in the, these right-wing groups. Um, and the, the, the whole strategy that you have of so-called anti-Semitism is pursued by people who are actually uh, kind of bigots. And that's why we see most absurd accusations of anti-Semitism thrown at people who just want to, for, for example, that march in, in London where people had the, the slogan from the, from the river to the sea. Um, and then the police, this is extraordinary, the police are taking photos of those people and putting them on the national media and saying, we want to, to get these people and prosecute them. Um, so that's part of it. it, it it's a kind, of, a kind of mass psychosis, I think, uh, uh, that uh, is rooted in a false idea that the Israelis are vulnerable people. And I'll give you another example. We have this, um, it was, came from Golden Mayor, this thing about the, the Israelis have to fight because they've got nowhere else to go. This it always annoys me. And it was repeated recently. That's that's a bit. I think who who was it? Was it Biden or, or someone actually repeated those words? <laughs> um, the Israelis, the Jewish people, and I, I. Incidentally, for your listeners, I, I am ethnically Jewish. I am not religiously Jewish, as you probably guessed. <laughs> and it's only a weak ethnic link as well. Nonetheless, I, I, I've had a lot of anti-Semitism in my time, from mostly from these right-wing people. Um, point is, the Jewish people can go more or less anywhere in the world. They're very successful people. I think there's six million of them in America, very successfully in America. They're also in places like Iran, which despite Israel regularly threatening to nuke Iran, Iran continues to be a, a very civil and, and a livable state for Jewish people. So there's a, there's a kind of... Um, like there's uh, a kind of gross contradiction between the idea that the Jewish people have nowhere to go and the fact that they have the whole world, they're living successfully around the world. The Palestinians are the people who literally have nowhere to go. They're all, now at the moment, they're lined up on the Rafah border with Egypt. Egypt won't let them cross over. I actually think that's probably the right policy because we know what happens if they cross over. They're never allowed back. Yep. Yep, that's a cer that's a certainty. Actually, you 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 address this in your article, Martin, uh, number two. You say, well, the headline here, of course, the seven ways Israel controls the news agenda. I'll drop this in the TNT chat in a minute. But uh, number two, Israel has no plans 
uh, to stay in Gaza. This is a fallacy. Uh, actually, they do have plans to stay in Gaza. So you've been vindicated there. Uh, and on some of these points, Israel is at war with Hamas and is trying to minimize civilian casualties. Of course, that's ridiculous. You pointed out why um, there. So, And also, th- here's the other thing I want to get your comment on is the dehumanization of Palestinians and Arabs, which I see I see this right across the Western media, actually, Um, here in America, where I'm at currently, Martin, you know, Fox News and some of these news outlets. It's just unbelievable the rhetoric that they've been pushing for the last five, five weeks. But you use Palestinians are, quote, animals that that's like another level of of propaganda that is used. It's being used to justify, you know, war crimes, basically. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. there's this uh, uh, the defense minister of Israel said, I've ordered a complete siege on the Gaza Strip. There will be no electricity, no food, no fuel. Everything is closed. We are fighting human animals and we act accordingly. Um, a recent quote, uh, uh, there's no comeback. There's no, there's no suggestion within Israel that this is unacceptable. There used to be, I suppose we should talk about it, you know, there used to be a kind of Israeli left. Um, there used to be, at least might say, a debate within Israel. It's sort of gone. Um, it's a, probably, it's, it's a partly to do with fear. If you take the Israeli Arabs, which are quite a large proportion of, of Israel now, um, they are regularly threatened with being deported themselves to losing all their civil rights. And so they're, they're kind of a very silent group within Israel. Um, and the, the, uh, we've seen that all over all over Europe that the left has more or less disappeared. Um, it's odd to put it in a left-right context because as it, as it was, this is not really left-right. This is about basic principles, moral principles, um, principles established particularly after the Second World War. Although the one about you're not allowed to move civilian populations. Actually, I looked it up. It actually goes back to the US Civil War. So it's a, it's, it's a principle that's been in international law a long time. And yet the Americans are being particularly indifferent to it. They're, they're, they're actually facilitating. We've seen they're actually sending arms via Cyprus now to the Israelis. Those arms are being used to drive people from Gaza into camps on the border. And then the Israelis hope eventually to force them over the border into the desert as they have said that is their strategy yeah i know it's pretty it's pretty open now you know these are things that people suspected over the years that this was a long-term agenda but didn't see where it could actually happen like no one could see the mechanism in which that could actually happen and uh lo and behold martin we're actually witnessing that right in front of our very eyes today and uh, i'm with dr martin cohen and he's an author of many books and he's uh his forte is also critiquing uh, and constructing arguments uh, and debunking a lot of uh, common misconceptions and exposing the truth on so many different issues over his career as an author, as an academic as well. Uh, we have him on the line. We're going to take a break, however, real quick with TNT, today's news talk. And we come back, uh, we're going to continue Martin Cohen's seven ways the Israeli government and media apparatus controls the news agenda. All this and more coming up. I'm Patrick Henningsen, your host. Stay right there. 
de-weaponizing weather with reality and perspective. John Clauser recently won the Nobel Prize in physics. Pretty smart guy. Now, everybody loved him until he decided to say that he did not believe that there's a climate catastrophe. Listen to this statement. I can very confidently assert there is no climate emergency. As much as it may upset many people, my message is the planet is not in peril. Atmospheric CO2 and methane have negligible effects on the climate. Now we know that. He further goes on to state that it basically has to do with the sun and reflectivity and the fact that the models can't even handle that type of thing. Two-thirds of the Earth are ocean. The Pacific Ocean alone is half the Earth. The average cloud cover for the Earth is 67%, about 50% over land, and 75% over the ocean. So consequently, nothing can handle that and the cause. Now, I believe the oceans warm and they cool. And right now, I believe that over the last 30 years, that has to do with geothermal input. That in turn puts more water vapor in the air, puts more clouds in the sky. There may be more reflectivity, but then again, there's more trapping of low-level warmth. So it goes back and forth, especially in the real cold Arctic areas. But the point is, it is a complex system. CO2 is not the climate control knob. Man has only contributed 3 to 5% of the total CO2 in the atmosphere anyway. And yet you see John Kerry sitting there at the summit with the leader of China, the very country that is dumping all the CO2 in the air. Hypocrites. This is TNT Climate and Weather Watchdog meteorologist Joe Bastardi asking you to enjoy the weather. It's the only weather you've got. When a crisis hits, close to home and across the globe, nonprofits are on the front lines ready to serve. Healing. Nurturing. Rescuing. Protecting. Inspiring. The work of philanthropic organizations has never been more important. And it's donors and volunteers like you who make all this possible. Thank you, the Nonprofit Alliance. Patrick Henningsen and TNT. All right, folks, welcome back. We're still now number one of this live broadcast. Thank you for joining us here on TNT Today's News Talk. And we're having a pretty heady conversation right now about the situation uh, in Gaza. Let's be clear, folks, it's a dire situation. And a lot of this has been able to happen. I think it's been enabled by the media coverage that we've all been slammed with for the last five weeks. And a lot of the uh, initial reports, a lot of the assumptions, a lot of the atrocities that were claimed from the beginning, many of them one by one have been uh, gradually debunked. Uh, first and foremost, by Israeli media and sources themselves. So, uh, but unfortunately, and we have Dr. Martin Cohen on the line, who's a best-selling author, and he has written a great article, uh, Seven Ways Israel Controls the News Media. Martin, you know what the frustrating thing for me and many other people uh, is, is that even though some of these initial reports that really fueled the uh, anger, the anxiety, and uh, justified the uh, huge overproportionate response, as you quietly, quite rightly said earlier, uh, by the Israeli uh, military against the uh, native Palestinian residents of Gaza, um, even though they've been slowly, one by one, debunked and completely exposed as being untrue at the same time that's happening even though it's in the israeli media martin the the international media is still running with these same stories even though 
they've been discredited. So it's like a bizarre kind of disconnect that we have, uh, in, in, especially in the U.S., Martin. But I think in the U.K., it's probably similar in parts of Europe too. It's like the it's like it's been like the the images, the ideas from October seventh have been etched in the minds of the Western public, and they just hmm. don't want to like let go of it. Your your thoughts on this phenomenon? Well. I think it's to do with the way the media work, which I know a little bit about, obviously, um, only as a sort of freelancer, and I've done a tiny bit of work on local newspapers. But basically, it, it's the same for a local newspaper as it is for a national. That you, journalists goes into the office and they look at press releases, press releases uh, produced by the authorities, and then they basically they just reprint that, and and this is why. The, the, the narrative that we're getting is not analysed. Now, the, 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 the just pro-Israel uh, narrative is being pursued by the governments. Uh, I, I find it odd that the governments are not taking it on, but then the governments increasingly, we see, are also very lazy. They simply look at the paper. So they, so they open the paper and see what, <laughs> what line is running in their favour. And so there's a kind of complete absence of any critical evaluation and where you've got as you certainly have you have got specialist journalists and you have got people um otherwise you know politicians who also take a, a deep interest in these matters but they're all they're all marginalized and you've got your popularization your popular narrative they talk about social media and misinformation all the time but it's actually the problem is that the mass media is misinformation and disinformation, and that the governments themselves are running on it. They're, they're pursuing policies which are, are, are ill-thought-out, go against specialist advice, because they are following uh, columnists and, and editors. Editors pointed often by people who might have a completely hostile, hostile interest. Um, we, we've had a discussion in the UK about uh, the Russian links, um, but leave aside the Russians, you know, you've got your business interests. And that basically, when you've got something like Gaza, you say, well, what, how, can, how can it be that there isn't, really a, there isn't really a proper discussion? People aren't saying, just a minute, this looks like a war crime. Um, we shouldn't be involved. We shouldn't be supporting it. We should actually be resisting it. Um, Britain has this historical obligation towards Palestine to, to protect the Palestinians. Why, why are they doing the opposite? Why are they actually siding with the Israelis? But there isn't a discussion, and, and that's what I think, Patrick, is the problem. We, we're in a kind of internet society um, where there's a babble, and, and the worst people can influence it. And they say, this is completely wrong, they say the worst people are the alternative people. No, the worst people are the people in government. And and I know you also were, you know, I, I think a very uh, vocal and a voice of reason during the whole uh, COVID farrago as well, uh, you know, talking about the propaganda coming from governments about lockdowns. And I remember when we had the discussion about that, you talked about messaging coming in triplicate. So to be, you know, the propaganda will be coming in threes. And we see some similar configurations here where I'm having a debate and you might've experienced this as well. And you're actually trying to make a, you know, a, a salient cogent point about facts and people come back and say, well, they beheaded 
the babies, they raped the women and they butchered civilians. And that, that triplicate I have seen repeated so many times Hmm. and I don't want to get into speculating whether, you know, there's crib sheets of talking points that are being circulated through certain operatives on, you know, social media, there might be influence operations. I don't know for sure exactly how that works if it does, but it is, you do see that kind of those talking points they, they they get repeated, copied, pasted, and then that's that becomes the sort of discourse. I saw it during the COVID Farago. We're seeing it here again, and one of them is that as well as is as I hear Martin is and you say this in your article. You you cover this. Palestinians only have themselves to blame. They brought it onto themselves because they voted for Hamas. How dangerous! is that propaganda line because i think this is actually lethal but go ahead yeah but that, i mean that just links up to what i said at the very beginning of, of our interview was that there's this idea that the palestinians um are, are, are sort of a non-people and um they don't have any status in our in our concern so that the, the the jewish people as as they Israelis misleadingly present themselves <laughs> um, have, have this this call on our support because of the the Holocaust, but the Palestinians have no no status at all. They are a non-people, and as you, as, as you were saying, you know, other people then throw onto that things like and not only they're non-people, they're all hamas terrorists or their animals or whatever but the worst thing is they just don't turn up as a concern um i i was what you know watching the events and i thought well look there's two million people in gaza can the israelis drive two million people out of gaza and i thought no no way would the international community allow that to happen they've already driven half of them out (laughs) and there's very little noise from the international community and that includes Arab countries, we should say, what is going on? They're the dog that hasn't barked, you, you know. Um, and this is, this is this very frustrating. Um, the Saudis, for example, could simply cut oil production. They don't have to stop it completely. They just cut it. It doubles oil prices in America. The Americans don't like anything that hits their wallet. It wouldn't even particularly cost the Saudis to do that because the oil price is going up means they get more money for the bits the amount they are producing. Nonetheless, the only country that's talked about that, I, I think, which one was it? I've forgotten which one. Anyway, there's been almost no talk about economic um, activity, sanctions against the war. And, and the, the end result is the Palestinians operate entirely on their own, like a, the, the international waifs. <laughs> they, they have been for, for, for 80 years. Um, why don't they have any, why don't they count? They're, they're a Semitic people as well. You know, all this talk about anti-Semitism, they're a Semitic people. Why, why are they people just say they don't matter? Yeah, they've, they've, they've actually been uh, expunged from the public consciousness in the West. And you also covered this as well. You're saying that, uh, um, you know, they're saying, well, we can't negotiate with terrorists. Uh, they're, the, the, the Hamas is using the Palestinian people as human shields. And they're almost inferring, Martin, that it's their fault uh, because, well, it's just collateral damage. You know, the population's being used as a human shield to protect Hamas. And meanwhile, Martin, I'm waiting for the reports from the Israelis saying how many Hamas fighters they've actually uh, uh, killed or mm. eliminated in all of this. None of that 
It's been five weeks. And, I'm like, and, where is it? Also, Patrick, a bizarre thing about that human shields talk is that, yes, you, you know, yes, you can object to people using someone as a human shield. You know, like the Israeli Defense Force have strapped, well, I don't know if they've really done it, but there have been pictures of uh, Palestinian children strapped onto the fronts of their armed, armored vehicles. That's a kind of human shield. Now, when someone is used as a human shield, that's a bad thing. What it doesn't mean is that you can shoot the human shield. <laughs> and, and yet that is the way this is being done. It's saying, look, um, there's, a, there's whatever, half a million Palestinians, and we've blown up 10,000 of them. That's not our fault. They were being used as human shields. No, when they're used as human shields, you have to stop. You have to protect the civilians. And you can complain. You can say, you shouldn't use the civilians in that way. It does not allow you to kill them. And it's just an example of how <clears throat> the, everything is turned sort of upside down in, in, in the Israeli-Palestine conflict. Another example is the negotiating, which you, you mentioned earlier. You know, people say, we can't negotiate with Hamas. Hamas regularly comes out with very moderate, mild proposals for a peace settlement. Very moderate. Um, and I think they're credible. You, you know, they, they say things like, we would have a 100-year truce and, and, you know, we, we want... <laughs> relatively feeble uh, amount of land back for the, for the Palestinians to live in and the Israelis are getting 99% of what they wanted. But they try to negotiate and then you see over and over again the Israelis hate negotiating and when they do, they do it in bad faith. And as I say, Netanyahu is, is, is a master of bad faith negotiation. We're seeing it at the moment with the idea about the dropping the leaflets on Gaza and telling people to right. flee. That is allowed under a provision where you have a very localized uh, thing. It might, let's say, you might attack a street or something. <laughs> they have applied it to to this to hundred kilometers at a time. Um, they're they're playing on ambiguity the whole time, and 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 they're allowed to do it. And that's because, as, as we were just saying, the media aren't going to hold them to account. The the the, the politicians don't want to hold them to account. The, the UN is actually trying to, but of course it's a completely dysfunctional organization and it's dominated by the US. So it's talk about Russian vetoes at the Security Council, but the, the, if the US doesn't want something, the UN will not be able to do it. Oh, and uh, Israel, actually, I think I heard Netanyahu saying this in a press conference, one of the uh, previous ones, he was saying, well, what we're doing, uh, we're dropping leafless, warming, warming, warning them to leave, and uh, if they stay, it's at their own risk. And this is what the United States did in Fallujah in Iraq. So, you know, we're using the U.S. as our sort of, you know, model, uh, our template for this. So, I mean, throwing talk about throwing bad money after bad money. And so, and by, and by the way, Martin, um, you know the 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 inability for Israel to uh, show any any of these tunnels or Hamas fighters that have been killed that completely delegitimizes all of the claims that Hamas is using the Gazans as human shields because there's yeah. no Hamas. But so they, I mean, they, yeah, go ahead. They did have, and they've made a lot of it, pictures of themselves controlling the hospital and you know um, soldiers standing in front of the machines and then digging holes in the walls and the, the, all of it did send a, a different message not 
not that there's anything significant with Hamas in the hospital. They, they made themselves look very foolish in a way. But they sent a different message, which is that um, they can do what they like. And, that's, and that seems to be the, the, the idea that Joe Biden said. He said, essentially, he said at the beginning, he said, Israel can do what it likes and I will support it. Yeah, this is incredible. So there, the, if there's no restraint, uh, if nobody can step in and apply the brakes on this, um, I'm 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 afraid, Martin, that th- this could get worse. Actually, people say, well, this is the worst of it. Well, it could easily keep going, um, even if it's over an extended period of time. This exact same thing now, this precedent has been set. And what's to stop Israel from doing the same to central and southern Gaza? I don't see anything stopping them, actually. And that, to me, Martin, is the most scary thing about this, is that we might well, be forced. Well, you're right. I mean, I mean, the logic of it is very clear. Gaza was probably like the biggest single settlement, if you want to call it, of Palestinians left in, in, in the historical Palestine, you know, the largest piece left um, in terms of being one just just because the West Bank's completely fragmented, as, as your listeners may not know, but it, it's broken up already into um, settlements by, which are held by Israeli armed settlers and the military. But Gaza, Gaza, they withdrew from, and this is a thing that they keep repeating, they withdrew from it, and then they say, look, Hamas has abused our kindness in withdrawing, but what they don't say, which is that over that period of the withdrawal, they've held... Gaza under a very bitter, a very cruel siege where they, they control all aspects of everyday life and then prevent Gaza having normal um, enterprise, business enterprises. So people live in complete poverty. Um, they also they're not even allowed to fish off the sea. <laughs> they're, they're allowed a, a sort of paddling pool sized bit of water to go around. These are an ancient fishing people, the Palestinians. So, so every aspect of it is outrageous. And, and yet, this, this is this is somehow all um, just not just all pushed to one side, and then you get stories like, uh, you know, how how, how horrible the uh, some some Hamas attack was. Yes, probably some of the Hamas attacks are horrible. So what? The Hamas are, are what are they? They're a millionth a millionth part of the population. Well, not millionth, but you know, they're a tiny tiny segment of the population. Um, so uh, over to you, Patrick. <laughs> no, no, I, 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 uh, I think you, you've laid out this really well. I think you've laid out the basic points, uh, some basic points in the argument. I think if people look at your article, if they understand it and they can apply this um, to the conversation, they'll be much better equipped, really, um, to have some uh, meaningful and productive discussions and debates on this very contentious subject uh, politically. It's very polarizing. But, you know, ladies and gentlemen, logic and facts will win the day eventually. We just need to keep pushing forward. And we want to thank you Dr. Martin Cohen for uh, your work on this, but also just for your time uh, coming on TNT this week. We we really appreciate it. Uh, thank you, Patrick, and thank you for trying to look at all the issues objectively. No, thank you. Thank you. There he goes, ladies and gentlemen. That's Dr. Martin Cohen. Uh, you can find many of his books online. Just do a search for that, but follow him also on social media. We'll drop his ex-Twitter profile in the TNT chat community. Keep an eye on Martin's account. 
for more updates and commentary on this and other issues. And we're going to go into the second hour in a moment. So we got some news headlines, some analysis coming up. Plus, Matthew Russell Lee from the Southern District of New York Federal Courts uh, for an inside scoop of what's going on there legally with the Trump trial and everything else in the United States. I'm Patrick Gennings, your host. We'll be back after the top of the hour news headlines. So stay there. <laughs> 